0: I like to characterize myself as a cheerful pessimist. So I'm in America now, trying to put my money, time, efforts where my mouth is, working towards an ex-China battery supply chain. And there are opportunities in the domestic United States and that that is something that's worth spending one's life and spending one's time and spending one's money. not just advocating for, but making happen.
1: Welcome back to Rockstock Channel, and thanks for checking in. Before we launch into the interview, we'd like to thank all our Patreon sponsors. And for those of you who are new, share a bit about us. RK Equity is an advisory firm run by Rodney Hooper and me, Howard Klein. We are exclusively focused on raising awareness about companies producing or developing the next generation critical raw materials that are powering Tesla's EV battery energy transition. Please register your email at rkequity.com and follow Rodney and me on LinkedIn and Twitter. Please also subscribe to this channel, RockStock channel on YouTube as well as Lithium Ion Rocks on SoundCloud for our podcasts. Please note, Rodney and me are not financial advisors or broker dealers. Nothing you hear in this video is investment advice. Please do your own research and read the disclaimer at the end of this video or on our website. Thanks again for the support and let's get into the videos. It's the 20th of December. Uh, We are gonna have a wide ranging conversation today covering a number of topics uh we just had chilean elections so that is going to be topic number one uh, we can introduce emily uh, who produced and co-hosted a podcast um, for a period of time then launched the minerals manhattan project podcast last year or so focused on supply chains and i think that this is very much the year of the supply chain so topic three is going to go into kind of you know the usa uh, that'll be a major source of conversation but uh, given that emily spent 10 or 11 years in argentina successfully building um a few different businesses and becoming a, a bit of a ms lithium expert we haven't spoken a lot about argentina on rockstock channel and uh, want to take the opportunity to assess uh i guess the the politics the economy but also what i'm calling here the, the united nations of argentina lithium with China, Korea, USA, Australia, Japan, Russia, you know, investing uh, substantially in the past kind of few months.
0: Um. Yeah, Gabrielle Boric, the 35 year old former student activist who has taken the reins in Chile. I think that it's important to to sort of take a look at how close the election was, A polling going into it, you had really almost split down the line between a very far right kind of Trump type Bolsonaro figure and a much softer, more socialist student leader type. And and not only did did Gabriel Boric win, he won with a decent enough majority to to have some form of a of a mandate from the people. And even more encouragingly, um, his opponent conceded and hasn't tried to challenge the election. So it looks like Gabriel. Boric has a mandate to leave. And so taking a look at sort of going beyond that idea of like, oh, someone who's far left is going to be anti-business, which is bad for lithium mindset. I think it's just more important to understand that um, President Boric is in favor of and will continue the process of the constitutional convention to rewrite Chile's constitution. And so what that means for lithium is, I would say two things is sort of one, a bit more uncertainty. And then the second thing to kind of take a look at is, you know, how important is lithium to Chile versus how important is is Chile to lithium, right? So when you take a look at how important Chilean exports are to lithium supply, you've got a pretty substantial percentage there, but when you take a look at how important is lithium to sort of a, the bottom line of chile you know you're you're at one or 2% of exports max right and so lithium in chile is very much a politically charged topic that doesn't really move the needle from an economic standpoint so i would i would watch the constitutional process that is going to be happening in chile and understand that from a bottom line or or looking at the numbers standpoint, if the leftist government needs to sort of make concessions from a populist standpoint, uh, lithium becomes a much easier sacrificial lamb than something like copper, which is a lot more important for the economy.
1: If I can make an observation, like I've been a student of emerging markets for most of my career um you know in my early 50s and uh, the washington consensus uh chile was always a darling for the past kind of 30 35 years following what the imf said you know they privatized their pension system and and for a very, very long period of time, it, 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 it relative to Argentina and most other countries in South America and in emerging markets globally, the political reforms and economic reforms were were seemed to be very good from the perspective of a um you know Western investors and the like. And I was very surprised. It was about two years ago, uh, this time I was listening to you know, podcasts with you um, where Argentina was always a mess, you know. And post Macri, it was a mess. But then all of a sudden, you know, the pots and pans and the and, and the and the protests and and the burning of, of subways, you know, in um, in Chile caught me very much by surprise. We're not used to seeing such political risk in Chile. And the constitutional changes that you're talking about, you know, that transpired, you know, after that. And then we've had some delays with COVID, I guess. But, but SQM is very much. Was a reflection of that Washington consensus and the privatization. I mean, Boric has talked about, you know, na- nationalizing lithium and, and Julio Pons, you know, an oligarch billionaire, um, is you know, pretty much still in control of SQM. Three years ago, you interviewed Eduardo Batran, right, after they changed the tax policy and the royalty scheme for SQM and Albemarle, which in my opinion has incentivized SQM's very aggressive expansion you know of low quality lithium i haven't looked at how sqm is trading you know yet today you know as a result of this but their concession ends in 2030 you know boric is talking about nationalization i mean this could impact supply of chilean lithium you know on a global basis in 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 a a market where we need every lithium unit we can get from all locations from based on our demand forecasts
0: i think it's a bit fresh to be called an emerging market for having protests from a country that literally had a armed storm the capital moment when we had an election. Right. So I think a lot of the <laughs> ideology that we're using to describe countries and describe people when it terms emerging versus unemerging left versus right. I mean, I think that the the left versus right you know the washington consensus style thinking like it's us the capitalists versus them the you know communists i think that that convenient worldview or tool to organize the world is a bit outdated right and and this this kind of follows up to this idea that you've got um you know people who are pro-mining seem to be against the energy transition right and 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 then people who are pro evs seem to be anti-mining it's the world is not as tidy and convenient as it was presented to a cold war uh style situation and so there's a very big difference i think between political models and economic models and i think that what we're seeing to some extent in chile or what we're going to see in some extent when it comes to lithium is blowback against this idea that a bunch of bu- Chicago boys can come down into a country and fix the economy, right? You know, one of the things I took away from from talking to Eduardo Bitran was that he was everybody's bad guy, right? That, you know, he was trying to strike a balance and from the markets and from the market standpoint and from the international standpoint, he was that bad guy who was trying to fight capitalism. And then from the more reform-minded folks in Chile, he was that bad guy trying to stop nationalization. And so, you know, I think, you know, I, I'll put my Santa hat on later and then take it off to Eduardo Betran for for threading a very complicated needle for, for a long time. Um, but to kind of take that over to the, or a pivot to the Argentina question, nationalization versus not nationalization, what's the Constitution going to say about lithium? How is lithium going to be used or how is it going to be represented in the political dialogue is a lot more of sort of a soft soft science, right? This is gonna be an emotional feelings-driven situation rather than a, right, this is what we should do. But, but when you talked about how the export taxes led to companies making a decision to produce and export a low quality product, I think that that is a more, meaningful comparison with what's also happening in Argentina. Because the additional export taxes or the while many of these taxes or many of these programs were put in place with the mindset of this is how we keep more value or encourage more value added lithium battery activities in these emerging markets. the reality is that the companies that are producing lithium chemicals in these countries are much more inclined to produce a low quality product and add value somewhere else, or to, you know, produce a concentrate and export it to get around export taxes or currency controls. And I think that that's a, an interesting comparison that your your commentary kind of brings up.
1: I don't think that Eduardo Batrano was not trying to uh, do that because he was very much advocating for he was. Uh, you know having ha- higher value add. But but in his attempts to take more from SQM, right, he, he had a um, the tax is slightly SQM different on hydroxide.
0: From Chile,
1: right? Like, yeah, yeah absolutely. hundred um, percent. But he did. He had a higher tax on hydroxide versus carbonate. But he didn't differentiate between battery grade and non-battery grade. So, um, you know, if SQM tries really hard to make battery grade carbonate or hydroxide in house, right? They get taxed extra because they're selling that higher value product. So, uh, it's complete. And he also said you can. He increased their quota enormously, but he shortened the time frame only to twenty thirty, which basically said produce as much as you can as fast as you can at the lowest quality possible companies are creatures of incentives and I think that has a lot to do with SQM strategy and SQM in general treats lithium as a commodity as it treats iodine and potash as as a commodity
0: the politicization of lithium in the process of drafting and implementing a new constitution this is going to be a easy choice for government officials who need to whip up a frenzy or get attention somewhere to to go and to use i mean we talk a lot about how lithium is subject to volatility i think that lithium in chile will be subject to political volatility where you'll see one group of people say one thing change their mind the next day and say a totally different thing and kind of use it as a tool to work out what's the next iteration of the Chilean economic model.
1: On to Argentina. Tell us what's happening from an inflation point of view, currency consideration, you know, foreign direct investment point of view.
0: Listen, Argentina is a wonderful country, and it's simply from an economic standpoint, it's a bit silly and illogical. Argentina is in the midpoint of a political cycle, so it's sort of two years in. Um, there was a election recently, a congressional election, where similar to the United States, it was kind of used as a referendum on the party in power. the The Macri or the Cambiemos um, coalition did quite well in that election. Um, from a monetary standpoint, I mean, Argentina is a disaster. It's it's in the Point as it's been for the last decade of almost defaulting on IMF loans, it's in a position where you've got a parallel exchange rate that's, you know, 80 to 100 percent, you know, close to double what the central bank says the currency is worth. Um, and so I guess in a sense, it's, it's uh, business as usual. And what that means is that if you're a company or a group who's able to work within and stomach argentine risk there's upside um argentina is also from the lithium standpoint sort of reaping the rewards and i think can provide a good example to the united states of during the last lithium boom that coincided with sort of the president mauricio macri argentina turning a page becoming a you know getting washington consensus paying back defaults etc and that coincided with the last lithium boom. And so there was a lot of very high quality exploration that happened in lithium in Lithium in Argentina. And so what that has led to is now in 2021 2022, Argentina is one of the only countries in the world with a, you know, a, a significant number, you know, a decent handful, if you will, of shovel ready projects, to build and produce lithium chemicals where you know one of the i think we we all agree here on this call but one of the convos that i have with my my gold friends is is you know there's no such thing as the mother load of of lithium right the lithium is not a scarce um element on the earth's crust but there is a dearth of knowledge right scientific both geological and then working out flow sheets of how to get lithium out of the ground and how to get it into lithium chemicals, and the the amount of money, and then the amount of time required to get projects ready to build exists. And And Argentina is in a, a lucky situation where China is going shopping, Russia is going shopping, um Korea's going shopping, you know, they'll only sh- mall if you will that has lithium projects ready to buy is argentina and so i think you know i, I wrote a little note here howard because you were talking about sort of a i can't remember the term that you used but kind of a, a united nations of argentina lithium and i'm gonna i'm going to call them the access powers of argentina lithium uh i think when you put it out by dollar amounts the the dollar amounts that have been committed by china kind of nudge out the rest of the competition there a little bit. And I think that's because Chinese companies are going to be more deft at managing the illogical waves that are going to continue to be a reality of operating in Argentina where you have currency restrictions that make it unclear whether or not you'll be able to repatriate So Chinese companies are allowed to be a little more creative with their accounting, which I think will give them an advantage to operate in Argentina.
1: You're right, the dollars are big from China. So Zijin bought into Neolithium, $700 million cash, that's a new entrant of a Chinese state-owned, 24% controlled by the state. Uh, copper gold uh, and zinc maker so it's interesting it's a new entrant to lithium and then you have in arametsshan but they're earning in three or four hundred million dollars um and that that's a DLE technology and then we had just last week pasco going forward with their technology in, in omboy muerto you had you know a battle for you know ganfeng and catl were going for millennial but Lithium Americas ultimately ended up with that but Lithium Americas is 51% controlled, you know, in Minera XR with Ganfeng so I wonder if they um you know partner on millennial
0: China's initiatives in lithium has been to make low cost long term financing available to companies in the battery supply chain and that includes lithium. And what that does is it it allows a Chinese companies to operate at a lower cost of capital than its competitors, and lowering the cost of capital makes somebody more competitive. And it also takes the it changes the the time frame of delivery. You know, if you if you look at, at a company who's a not getting long term low interest debt financing from from the, the national bank. And then B, who's having to, you know, deliver a song and dance for a quarterly report, they are going that company is going to make different decisions, they're going to be in a position to make different decisions. And I I think that when you're able to take a more long term, look, Argentina's risks, look more like waves that you can ride rather than something that's going to catastrophically impact your country, your company's performance from one quarter to another. It it becomes a livable, survivable nuisance, rather than a, you know, a a, a nail in a coffin, I guess.
2: It's just if I can touch on that, Emily, because you've said something, and I'm thinking of it beyond Argentina. So if you look at the history of, of China and producing in chemicals, from, per, from permitting to completed construction is like a year in terms of conversion capacity, and most of the pricing is between five and $8,000 a ton. In the US, as you say, it's a song and dance and tears and a story, and three years later, and it's $25,000 to $30,000 if you can get it through. So the question is, yes, the DOE is looking at helping and assisting and funding, et cetera, but there's still a substantial gap between what it costs, aside from the time, it's the costs to produce. So the question is, who's to fund that? Because the DOE doesn't give out free loans, they just give low cost loans.
0: Um, They're not giving out many of those yet either.
2: (laughs) that's that's the hope. And then, you know, does one set carbon taxes at an eye-watering level to try and balance the playing field? But then I think China will make some shifts on that front itself, certainly in, in graphite, the guys are already moving to a hydropower province to do it so that they'll also make the adjustments. So who picks up the check if you want domestic supply?
0: I think that's a very good question, uh, Rodney. And I think that when we look at who picks up the check, it it does come down to my more, um, a worldview of if we don't do something, we all are going to pick up the check, right? Is it going to be, do we pick up a check because we live in a, you know, a, a China militarily and culturally dominated world in the next 50 years? That's one check that somebody's going to have to pick up further down the line, or, you know, simultaneously, do we all pick up a check for? climate change and, you know, get taken out by a tornado or an earthquake or, or some other catastrophic weather event? Or do you know, my kids pick up the check with their lungs and air pollution, like there are a lot of non financial consequences that occur, depending on what we do today. And not just the three of us on this podcast, but sort of the more the the royal we right all of us. But I think when you look at comparing those costs that said, right, when we, when we look at comparing so a five to 8000 bucks versus a 25 to 30,000 bucks, that's a big gap. And so I think that levering that, and I I don't, I don't believe in an even playing field, right? Life is life is very unfair. And, and taking an approach of you know whining complaining and being sad that life isn't fair is not a constructive approach to building the building the world that i would like to live in and leave for others to live in and so taking that why is it cheaper in china costs you can take it down to you know is it a cost of labor is it a cost of capital Is it a cost of time where your permits in other places just take a silly amount of time you know or is it a cost of this player is allowed to treat the environment in a way that somebody in a competing nation would not be allowed to treat the environment and i think that breaking it down into and better understanding those categories is is a way to look at picking them the check both from a a cost of capital and an availability of capital standpoint to a consumer demand consumers are demanding more environmentally sound you know less slave labor in their in the in the parts and in a supply chain and 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 you have to take the the, you know take the The yes and approach to delivering those costs so bringing on board somebody like the department of energy to address the cost of capital in the time frames yes that's definitely necessary um from a permitting standpoint i mean the i think that the permitting reality for lithium and for battery related materials in the united states it it also touches an ego um an ego kind of thing because most of the permitting processes in the united states folks are used to saying all right i've permitted you know a hundred of these in my lifetime i know this the u.s doesn't have you know doesn't have multiple permitted projects like this and so in order for the u.s to learn how to do this it takes a what are they doing in other countries and how can we do that here approach, which which Americans are not good at. They don't like to hear that they aren't the leader. They don't like to hear that they aren't at the forefront of some kind of a technological process. Um, and then on top of that, U.S. politics, I would say look look a lot more like Argentina's than Americans would like to talk about, where you know, maybe we work hard to make the permitting process more transparent, have shorter timelines at each stage of it. And then, you know, we get a Trump presidency. And just because this happened under Joe Biden, it becomes, you know, for big losers and then we do something else. Right. So um, I guess I'm not expecting to kind of go back to, you know, I'm not expecting anybody to sort of pick up the check and level the playing field, but I am asking that folks along all portions of this from the consumer standpoint to the investor standpoint to the government standpoint try to understand better what the levers are that hold the us back from being competitive and take a constructive approach to 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 working on that together
2: because if you if you look at the economics of evs and cut to the chase you make about six or seven percent on a car. That's what you make an operating margin is an OEM. So what I see is I see everyone saying, oh, but lithium could do this and it's only this much dollars for whatever. But the problem is all commodities often move in sync. So even if lithium does double you true 15 to 20% of the operating margin of a car. So the reality is everyone's saying I want zero carbon, but I wanted a at of prices. So that's what we Yeah, essentially is is what's coming out of this mix. So I guess practically what we're seeing is we're seeing an even further pivoting, and it's in the numbers, despite all the rhetoric and all the talking, percentage of cathode produced in China, percentage of lithium, percentage of everything is skewing more and more to China. And you're seeing that in production numbers. Elon Musk, 18 months ago, whenever it was, said, no, we want to export from China. no, 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 that's literally all he does. So we're seeing the reality, you know, being very different from what, what people are claiming. What
0: people say they want, and then what people do with their money. There's a, there's a gap, right? And something's got to give. And the question is, do stated values and carbon footprint and environmental degradation give? Or do you know, that, that you can't, can't say that you want something and then, you know, you, you can't put on a bumper sticker that's like, I don't like this type of practice and then run down to H&M and buy t-shirts for a dollar. Right, that's, it's a cognitive dissonance or it's, it's, it's simply not, um, one, one is true. they both can't simultaneously be true.
1: We're in a very big bull market for lithium. Right and battery materials generally, like the the shift in the past eighteen months has just been astonishing. Um, and just looking at the backdrop of it, you know, in my I'll just go through a, a litany, you know, or, or a somewhat um, chronological, you know, order. Uh, you know, after the first couple of months of of COVID, everyone saw the blue skies. You know, just there's the accelerated adoption of technology and electric cars and Tesla enthusiasm but then you had biden was elected so that was a tailwind for the ev green agenda then the two senate seats in georgia going democrat so that was a further tailwind to the green agenda then you had the march stimulus as soon as biden came into power i got whatever five thousand eight thousand dollar checks for myself and for my kids which i didn't need but it, it um you know it was it, it as a, a stimulus the fed has been stimulating then on battery materials the white house had their 100-day review so you saw um uh you know a focus there then the COP 26 america you know was uh, was there in a way that they weren't under the trump administration um the infrastructure deal was passed the, the oh. hope of the build back better biden act and the hope of EV subsidies and charging infrastructure has been a tailwind all year to the overall thematic. And Jennifer Granholm has been an unbelievable spokeswoman for industrial policy in America from the platform of the Department of Energy. You've had, you know, this reflected in lots of IPOs and and SPACs uh, in America. From Rivian, we just met Redwood is private, but they could easily raise a bunch of capital. But you know, all of the SPACs which we've we've talked about and followed. Um, and all the major oems have announced you know after tesla battery day in september you had ford uh you know 11.4 billion you know plants in tennessee and kentucky gm and ultium and now Pasco and gm on on cathode so a massive commitments to battery factories in america like we haven't seen before all on the backdrop you know it's policy driven a lot of this is policy driven um and then you have. ESG and sustainability as an investment thematic has also been a huge tailwind. So all of these things are you know coalescing to support demand for lithium battery materials uh but you've had some headwinds, right? Uh progressively and, and a lot of the politics impacts and the narrative shifts so you had Afghanistan was not good for Biden. Um, you know, the the uh the delay in getting the infrastructure bill and the Build Back Better Biden Act, you know, and now Manchin um, you know, basically stopping it. Inflation worries, right? And meantime, you know, and, and worries about the debt, you know, meanwhile Russia is uh being aggressive in Ukraine, you know, and their China worries and, and Manchin kind of cited this. So, so there are some Headwinds as we're ending the year and going into next year. Um, is it all super rosy, you know, for lithium? I, is-
0: I like to characterize myself as a cheerful pessimist. Um, in that, you know, things are not usually great, but I like to try to have an okay time and do an okay job along the way. And you know, I'm I'm not surprised. I am very un surprised about Joe Manchin's decision to kill or maybe put back the build back better deal. Because, you know, at the end of the day, American politics are very defined by folks who are making decisions about how to stay in power. And I don't judge them for that. That sucks. But that's the the political reality that we've built in this country. And, and Joe Manchin, you know, comes from the state that represents coal to the United States. And so, you know, that guy can't, I don't think he has the political capital to step over the aisle and, 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 and support this. Right. And, and, and while his, his decision to not support this bill does come from saying he's concerned about inflation and all of these things. Yeah, I mean I'm I'm unsurprised and that's fine. You know, I would still be be friends with Mr. Manchin, but I, I don't expect him to cross the aisle and get behind a a a build back better policy agenda that is and should kill coal in America. Coal is a very antiquated form of energy, it's extremely dirty. Well, I'm not saying between today and tomorrow, use absolutely no coal. From a policy standpoint, we should stop using coal for energy. It is not the it is not the optimum solution to this problem. And I don't think it's so much about folks losing their jobs. I think it's more about large companies losing a lot of money. So I'm in America now. um trying to put my my money and my my mouth, money, money, time efforts where my mouth is in that there is an importance in creating or working towards an ex China battery supply chain. And there are opportunities in the domestic United States to have um, lithium, particularly production and lithium chemical production, and that that is something that's worth spending one's life and spending one's time and spending one's money, not just advocating for, but making happen over the years, since coming back to the U S after a long time abroad, I've built a lithium exploration company called Luna Lithium around a very interesting brine project that came across my desk that's located in central Nevada. So it's been a, a very, um, exciting time for sure. Um, and it's really given me a lot of opportunities to understand better parties on both sides that have a lot of strong opinions on these topics um, and being on the ground and, and handling permitting and understanding the the challenges that both the companies and the folks whose job it is to permit these things are facing, right? These are, you know, I have a, a little policy that I'd I don't like to talk about problems. I like to talk about challenges and, and really understanding. How do I get this from A to B or B to C when this isn't, this doesn't have defined series of actions that I'm allowed to take. It's kind of a, you know, it's a belt and suspenders and adopt a mindset of, of, of fortune favors the prepared and give it a run. And, and it's. You know, I, I think that one of the the most striking things that I've found to to sort of in, in spending a lot of time in a place that is really impacted by these by these things, right? I'm down the road from Albemarle, right? Silver Peak. This is central Nevada, you know, and Nevada in general is kind of lithium country USA. Um, from you know you and I talk a lot about the cognitive dissonance from the folks who want to have their cake and eat it too from the folks who want a sustainably sourced green phone battery but they want it at china prices you know i'm i'm getting to to spend time in and live in a community that's kind of the opposite where you've got these real pro mining folks you've got a state that's you know 50% i believe of their revenue comes from mining and yet that narrative is captured by gold and coal. So it's, it's an interesting time to be alive. And I feel lucky to and, and up for the challenge of trying to build a really nice lithium project in central Nevada.